I, I think for me, probably the most enduring thing that I think of in terms of the Bible is that the Bible is is the primary way we can get to know God. Welcome to the Faith Without Fear podcast, a minister of the First Baptist Church of Redlands, California. In this episode, Senior Pastor Sean Zambros and I talk about how to read scripture well. John Prine, I think that's how he's named it. He's a famous singer-songwriter. Who's that? John Prine. Okay. I'm Prine, Prine, I'm not sure. He said, I think of the Bible as an unauthorized biography. That I found that to be kind of amusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I have to go with N.T. Wright. Uh, he says, uh, the Bi- and this is for him personally, you know, Bishop of Durham and involved in the church and stuff. He said, the Bible is the book of my life. It's the book I live with, the book I live by, the book I want to die by. Hmm. And which is very anti right, um, but of course that brings us the question of what is the Bible? It's, I mean, if it can inspire both snark from John Prine and such reverence from anti right, you know, it's it's clearly something that has power to people, you know, for good or for evil. Right. And so I guess the question we have to think about uh, is what is the Bible? What what is this thing that we? If we're pastors or ministers that we preach on Sunday morning, we study throughout the week, and we're we're it, we're you know elbow deep in this thing. Yeah. Uh, and so the question is, what is it? Mm-hmm. And uh, that could be a million different things. But right for us, I, I, I don't know, as as Protestants, as Baptists, and all that, we have a canon. We've got you know an Old Testament, a New Testament. This thing's been written for. Or it's been composed over a period of thousands and thousands of years by multiple different authors. Sometimes within the the same book, in the case of like maybe Daniel or Isaiah or some of the Old Testament texts, but uh, it's a massive collection or anthology of sacred literature that's been brought together between two covers, and we call it the Bible. And it tells, uh, I guess, uh, taking a big picture view of it, I don't know what you think about this, the idea is the Bible as a diverse but coherent story about what God has done in the world, and that uh, story climaxes, at least in some sense, with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right. And so maybe as a way of kind of giving a, a brief overview of what the Bible is, it's basically a sacred anthology of what the Christian God, or, you know, God in general, is believed to have done throughout the course of history. And that is something that was written thousands of years ago and has, as we see in our politics, for good or for ill, it has a, an enduring influence on, well, the entire world in, in many senses. So... I mean, we could talk about what the Bible is, but that's kind of at least the sense I get of what the Bible is. If right. if someone just asked me in, at a coffee shop, what is the Bible? And I have to actually sit and think about it. Can't just go, well, it's this thing I'm reading. Uh-huh. You know? Right. So I don't know about when you grew up or when you were in seminary, if that kind of question hits you. That's the question I got asked probably about two years ago. And it took, I got a lot of heming and hawing about because I'm like, I, I, I don't think about what the Bible is. I just read it. Uh, right. I don't know if that's the same for you, but that's kind of how I... It's it's just an odd question, but one that seems to be really relevant to a lot of people. Right. I, I think for me, probably the most enduring thing that I think of in terms of the Bible is that the Bible is is the primary way we can get to know God. Hmm. I mean, we have our experience of God through prayer and through meditation and and through life with God as we walk with God and everything, but there's something about the scriptures that help us ground that experience into connecting with the experiences of people throughout history. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, 
And so it's the primary way we find out about God, who God is, find find out about Jesus and what Jesus' intention was for us to live in the kingdom of God, um, uh, the whole uh, purpose of, of Jesus' life and his coming to earth, walking with us, dying, rising again, all of those things um, uh for all practical purposes, right. for a, and particularly for a Protestant, the Scripture is the primary way we get to know God. Mm-hmm. And it and it's something that I think, at least in my own experience in reading Scripture, there's a sense in which it's meant to be taken seriously as a as a historical document as well. It's not um, it, it's rooted in the in the grounds of history and the complexities of history and all that. And it, it's an invitation to study and to reflect and to engage and stuff like that. Right, and so it's uh, what I found fascinating about it is you know you dive into the history of it and then you discover hey a lot of this stuff happened at least in some sense in this way and that way and right. I don't know for me that that's just an awesome admir- uh, affirmation of of the spirituality of oh this is a great confirmation of something so it's not just something that uh, happens outside of myself or anything mm-hmm. like that but it's it's kind of like getting your hands dirty in the garden it's like no there's there's something here to this and there's yeah. I don't want to say foundations to it but there's mm-hmm. a sense of it's not as if this thing just fell out of the sky on golden tablets and boom, and it, it, it is unquestioned, it is un- all, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's an invitation for conversation, at right. least as I sense. And that's think where you're getting with the spirituality and, and all that sort of stuff that I find there's such a wonderful blend there. Right, right. I mean, I believe that these are real people right. that we're reading about. Maybe not all of them. Um, I mean, there's some question about whether Job was a real person mm-hmm. or if Job is just a story that, but, but even the stories are real and true because they're telling us something about God, mm-hmm. and and we're learning about God. So even a book like Job, where there there's some question as to whether there was an actual real Job, um, even still, it's one of the most powerful books in the Bible mm-hmm. that talks about. Uh, the whole issue of good and evil mm-hmm. and why there's evil in the world and how can you have a, a just God if if they're, you know, and still have evil in the world and and all of that. So you've got this book that is incredibly, this story that is incredibly important mm-hmm. um, and is uh, enduring, it's transcendent. Yeah. Uh, it goes on for all of time. People are asking that same question, mm-hmm. and that's one of the primary places in the Bible that 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 we find some kinds of answers. Mm-hmm. Not always satisfying, but well, that's kind of the joke about that's Job. Sort of it's, the it's, point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like there, there are there are answers, but whether or not we're satisfied by that right. is, is kind yeah. of a whole joke. And we find but, ourselves in that story. Yeah. So whether we are Job or we're Job's wife or we're um, one of Job's friends, we find ourselves in that story. So, so there, there are all sorts of layers, even, even you know, uh, that you've got somebody like uh, Abraham, uh, who I think is a historical figure. Um, we all connect with Abraham as well. So the fact that these were real people who lived trying to um, figure out what it meant to, to, to follow God and to be uh, God's people, God's person, yeah. um, that's another way that we connect with what's there. Yeah, and even some of the more, we might say, vicious or complex or mysterious parts of the Bible, say the Old Testament or the book of Revelation or something like that, 
there's a sense in which even if we are disturbed by them, mm-hmm. and rightfully so, I think they're there for us to be disturbed by. Right. It's not as if, and that's something I think that uh, a lot of people miss about reading Scripture well, is there are things in the Bible that we're not told to do, or there are narratives that are in there that are designed to horrify us. Mm-hmm. And it's meant to, it's not meant to be, and and thus go go and do likewise, like this stuff in the book of Judges, for example, or, yeah. or stuff like that. And the fact that scripture kind of doesn't, we might say, clean up how human beings can be, right. even the people of God, especially, which adds a whole other complexity to it. Right. The fact that scripture doesn't hide, you know, genuine anger in the Psalms about wanting to have, you know, your, the generations of your enemies destroyed and killed so there's peace in the land. Mm-hmm. It's like that comes from a genuine place. And having, you know, not been quite that angry before, I can at least understand the sentiment of just being in such a place where you're so oppressed and pushed around that you're, you just say stuff that you normally wouldn't say. And that, but script, the fact that scripture records it for us is a testament to, yes, there are people in life who have experienced this horrific thing and have not always done the right thing. Right. Right. Yeah. But it is something that we can bring to God. Yes. It's an example of, especially in the Psalms, these kinds of, uh, of, things that people pray Mm -hmm. shows us that we can pray them to God without fear. Yes. Um, Whereas there would be others, like even in culturally, um, other cultures and other religions, uh, the ideas of a God that, you know, you prayed the wrong thing to and then they gave you what you wanted, like Midas wanting to, Mm -hmm. you know, everything he touched turned to gold and he didn't think through all of the, stuff that went along with that you know how are you going to eat if everything you touch turns to gold and Mm -hmm. and everything else and i mean of course that's a lesson but it also describes a god that doesn't have your best interest at heart Mm -hmm. so um to have a have have psalms that express the kinds of things that we're feeling and that we want to express God to God, and yet we see then even in the course of many of the Psalms where you start out with, okay, just, you know, strike my enemy with lightning, God, and yeah. then by the end, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. Yeah. And, um, you know, so trying to uh, understand it in that, in that way. And it's, it's to that point, it's, it's so powerful, at least uh, in... When I think about mental illness or uh, all those other things that people go through, the mm-hmm. fact that we can take our, quote, unholy things that, you know, drive us down right. and take those to a holy God who's not scared of such things, in fact, right. uh, is, is a great lesson. I mean, the Psalms, is we take them as, you know, wisdom literature, they're sayings, they're meant to be taken as poetry, although yeah. you can, of course, communicate truth through poetry and stuff like that, but they're meant to kind of stimulate or um, empower or challenge or provide an image for us. And the fact that they include such things right. means we can take these same sorts of things to God in acts of, we wouldn't say worship necessarily, but acts of confession or of, of repentance or of just, hey, this is just what my day's been like, and it really, really sucks. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I think, a big part of Scripture is one of the ways to read it well is to basically go, that's not, of course, how you read the Gospels. You don't read the Gospels as poetry because they're no. just completely different things. But with right. the Psalms, they're basically the church's prayer book and the fact that there are prayers in there that aren't yeah. always, uh, I don't know, wonderful in the 21st century. Nevertheless, they're still there for our, we might say, our challenge or for us being challenged or us being edified or, or um, 
or whatever. It's it's the fact that they're there. Well, and and we find in the Psalms the words that we can't come up with on our own. Mm. Well, that's still that's one of the other. I've used the word transcendent before, but that's one of the transcendent things about different aspects of scripture is that it meant something to the person who wrote it, but it also means something to me when I read it again all these all these centuries later mm-hmm. that um, that uh, when I read the Psalms, there are times that I don't have words for my prayers, but mm-hmm. as I read the Psalms, I find the words for my prayers. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and yeah, it's not even describing maybe the same situation or anything else, but it describes the same kind of state of being or state of mind or uh, a state of spirit. And it's it's just a, a wonderful affirmation that, yes, yeah, Scripture is from human beings, written by human beings, just like you and I. And yet, as God saw fit by the Spirit, there's something transcendent that just doesn't isolate it to thousands and thousands of years yeah. ago. And it won't isolate and it'll keep going thousands of years past us. Right. And the fact that it continues that sort of trajectory means I don't know, I just take great comfort in the fact that God included stuff in scripture right. that can that that just went like we don't have words for it, like you said. We yeah. can pray that and it for some reason somehow the spirit just works through that that one person, whether, you know, if David wrote all the Psalms, I don't know, he probably wrote some of them. Um, but the fact that whoever wrote that is still that spirit of anger or joy uh, still kind of lives on through the life of the church as we read and fellowship together. Right, right. Yeah. And um, that's the part of it that is inspired by God. When when we read all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, um, we realize the purposes of, of scripture. But... Um, the fact that it is transcendent, that it means something powerful. Well, besides the fact that what I already said, it's the way we get to know God. Mm-hmm. But but also the fact that it is transcendent, it speaks to my situation today um, in the 21st century, just like it did um, back in the time of, of David and, and, um, and uh, others in, in the past. So... Yeah, so what are some of the things that are in the Bible? We've already talked about the Psalms, uh, wisdom literature and stuff like that, um, sayings, book, you know, the book of Proverbs, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, um, not narratives, not stories, although you do find, you know, narrative elements scattered throughout, but largely it's a book of books or uh, the works of poetry designed for worship or prayer. Um, and that's different from, say, the Gospels or the book of Acts in the New Testament, where there's a very heavy narrative thrust that will include poetry. Um, uh, our, our, uh, our, your sermon this weekend uh, will include uh, Old Testament material from the Gospel of Matthew. And so it's interesting that the Gospels, you know, the, the stories of Jesus, the four different stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, will incorporate these Old Testament ideas in a way of kind of when we don't have the poetry that's needed or we need that historical grounding, the gospel writers just go, well, we've got a story for that. Mm-hmm. We've got an image that corresponds to what Jesus did here. Right. And there's just so much, so many different layers to what is in Scripture, you know, and you've got, it's almost like you got a book for every occasion. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in light of all of that, we've got, you know, narratives, we've got epistles, we've got the apocalypse, we've got all these sorts of things in Scripture what are some ways to read the Bible? You and I briefly talked earlier about 
Lectio Divina uh, and all these sorts of kind of ways of understanding and incorporating scripture into our lives, not merely as, as academic, uh, an academic exercise, although you can do that, not merely as historical study, although you can do that, but for the life of, of people in church, people of faith, um, what are some ways that we can read scripture? Obviously, we would want to read scripture together. You know, it's not. Yes. Uh, I mean, we, of course, encourage everyone to read scripture on their own, you know. Right. But scripture is a, a community effort. It, that just as, at least as I understand, I could be wrong. Church is like scripture. It's meant to be embodied by the community. Mm-hmm. And it's not as if, you know, what I just come up with in my bedroom is, is you know, a great decree. It's, no, it should be incorporated with other people and, and weighed out and tested. Right. Um, but what, what do you think in terms of reading scripture? Or what are some of the different ways of reading scripture in that sense for the life of the church? Well, I think that there are all different ways that we can read and um, and uh, read scripture. Uh, and and they're important for everybody, hmm. uh, at least to some degree. Hmm. Um, now, I, I would imagine, you know, the the biblical scholar is going to delve into uh, passages of scripture in ways that mm, I'm probably never going to do it. Um, I might read it and benefit from what they've written and what they have to tell me. Um, and certainly I've been at times in my life um, pushed to do that kind of work, obviously, you know, with language study and and all of that. But for the most part, you know, there are the biblical scholars that can spend decades studying one word you know, I'm probably never going to do that. I can tell you, I will never do that. <laughs> but um, but there is, for all of us, that I think if we're going to really mature in our faith, it's helpful to study Scripture and try to find out what it says and what its background is and, and learn the tools to study Scripture. You know, to look at a passage, say, to know the difference between looking at a passage in, say, Matthew and looking at a passage in Revelation, you know, and knowing the difference in the style of writing. that, And this is part of what we get by studying Scripture together, having people who have come a little bit further along in study than we have that can help us with that. But... Um, and as an aside, I've always, as a pastor, when I was a campus minister, all of that, I felt like not only did I want to teach Scripture, but I wanted to teach people how to study Scripture. Mm. Yeah. And that was always a priority for me. So even in the ways that we would study Scripture, I would be, I would try to be very conscious of saying, okay, this is how, this is what we're doing now, right. and this is how to how to study Scripture. So there are different different ways of doing that 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 I think are really important. But also then there's the sort of the more devotional uh, ways um, where where we allow Scripture to speak to us in a very different way. I think in all of these ways, Scripture speaks to us, but but Lexio Divino would be allowing the Spirit to use a passage of Scripture to speak to us at, at that moment. And it's um, oftentimes uh, we are bringing something either consciously or unconsciously to that to that um, hearing of the Scripture. And the Spirit of God uses that scripture to somehow connect with where we are. And so in Lex in, in Lexio Divina, you hear the scripture read. Sometimes, oftentimes the practice is to read it three times and then to allow 
uh, to recognize what phrase or what word or what idea stays with you in the reading of that. Hmm. And, you know, if you do a whole psychological analysis of it or whatever, a lot of times I'm sure it has to do with what you're bringing to the reading of that scripture at that moment. Hmm. Um, But it's also a way of really uh, recognizing that there is another aspect of scripture, and that is that it can speak to us Hmm. and speak to our situation right in the here and now. And the next time we read it, a year from now or two years from now, we may not even remember that it spoke to us in that way, but it will speak to us in a different way. So there is that aspect, that spiritual aspect of the scriptures. Um, and then when we do that as a group, then and we share with one another what we've heard, then then that amplifies as well um, what we are experiencing from the reading of Scripture. It's not study, though. Study is different, and you accomplished different things with study. Um, but all of them are, all of these different ways are beneficial um, to our life with God hmm. and finding out more about God yeah. and ourselves and all yeah. of that. And there's something really profound, too, about what you said because it, it encourages not me locking myself in my theological closet, for example, and getting tunnel vision on and reading scripture as if, you know, it's just it's just me and it's only only been me. And it kind of pushes, it doesn't exclude the individual from her having agency and interpretation and the capacity to understand and to be moved and all that sort of stuff. Right. But it's an invitation to include her in the broader conversation of, say, the church or, mm-hmm. or a class or something like that. Right. And it's it's kind of a not, it's, it's not an either or. I think in an American culture, we kind of tend to, you have the individual over here, then you have the group over here. And it's like, oh, maybe right. there's more to be said about the way of reading scripture that incorporates both the body of Christ, you know, uh-huh. that, that gathers on Sundays or Thursdays, and also the individual and her, you know, interests and in you know, ideas that inc- includes her in that. And the two of them kind of play off each other for mutual, mutual edification. It's like right. any good conversation with someone uh, usually involves a dialogue and not uh-huh. a monologue, and it encourages kind of a challenging, you know, maybe you've discover something you never knew, maybe you felt you were reading it wrong, or go, I never, you know, for example, I never knew the, the simplicity of the word grace until she told me what she had to do today and how she helped someone across the street and that person, you know, was just going through a terrible day and opened up to her. And it's those sorts of things that kind of come out and gives kind of a vitality that uh, we, we wouldn't have maybe known if we weren't reading or studying. And it seems right. that God in the Spirit seems quite content to kind of invade into that space and yeah. give us those sorts of things. And it's always interesting to me to see how uh, what we bring to Scripture is also kind of what God is already doing. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense of kind of it, almost a joyful interplay between spirit and us as we yeah. as we read and engage together. Yeah, yeah. And I think people uh, of different temperaments and probably cultures, and they're probably all different dynamics that we bring, we'll take the same passage and we'll approach it differently and we get something out of it. And maybe our, there are particular approaches that impact us more. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a book that talks, and I can't think of the name of the author, but talks about spirituality and temperament and uses the Myers-Briggs to um, look at different, actually different styles of Lexio Divina oh. and incorporate um, the how we approach scripture and then and, and then um, use that to to uh, invite us into prayer and um, and it's it, very interesting you've got the the particular 
you know, the NT who likes to study and that the challenge for the NT is to push them to application. Yes. And then then you've got the 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 NF, which would be me, where one of the styles of, of scripture that kind of means a lot to them is like, let's say you would read a psalm and every time the word Israel comes, you would put in your own name. Hmm. You bring it forward to where you are. Yeah. And then you've got the SJ who um, who will who puts themselves into the story. <laughs> so you have the story and they become a character and and you you invite them to um you know what what do you hear and what do you feel and what do you smell and you know that really using your senses to to connect with that story and then you've got the SP who I I still cannot figure out <laughs> but they tend to like you know somehow uh, engage artistically Hmm. and so we have our preferred ways of doing it but when we're forced to or challenged to try it a different way it opens up a different part of us Hmm. so that's one example when you you know the Myers-Briggs and temperament but I think that that's true in terms of just in general and how we approach scripture that if you have people in the same room and you've got the person who like wants to know the Greek word and what it means and da 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 and then you've got the other person that says yeah but what it was what was it like to live back then mm-hmm. you know what uh, what was their daily life like? And what was this? And so you've got that person in the room, and you've got another person in the room that says, yeah, but when I hear this phrase, it um, uh, I really connect with it this way. And then you've got that person that is the artist that 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 phrase or that word reminds them of a poet or that reminds them of an artist or yeah. a song or, yeah, I mean, and you bring all of those people into the same room. Mm-hmm. Um and we all gain something from each other, yeah. especially if we're open to the fact that each one of us brings uh, our approach, brings a, a different view or a different uh, facet, you know, to to looking at the scripture and that we all gain from each other. So that's, of course, another argument for coming together with with people and sharing with one another mm-hmm. um, and not discounting different approaches to scripture. Yeah. And so uh, in light of all of that, uh, it's the new year. We're a few weeks into it. Yeah. And many Christians or interested seekers or whomever kind of commit to reading the Bible afresh every new year, Mm -hmm. reading it all the way through. And I tried that once, got to Leviticus and stopped. Uh, (laughs) And so I decided that's probably just not the easiest way to to read. Um, And so the plan is usually they start in Genesis, Genesis 1 in the beginning and so forth. Uh, If someone were to come up to you and said, you know, I'm I'm a new Christian. I've never read the Bible um, where should I start? You know, because there's so much there's so much in here that without yeah. as we've talked about, you know, having uh, interplay with people in terms of uh, what's called the science of, or an art and science of interpretation, hermeneutics and understanding mm-hmm. how we interpret. What are the tools we have? They you toss them into judges. They're they're going to have no framework for how the ancient Near East works or how uh, you read a certain type of narrative and how you don't just go, oh well, you know, if it says that, I should go do that. Uh, most people, I don't think, go there, but, you know, one, all you need is one person going there and you have a whole mess on your hands. So what are, like, if someone were to come up to you and say, you know, I'm a new Christian, I, I gave my life to Jesus, but I've never read the Bible or I've read pieces of it and stuff, where, where should I start? What's, where should I start reading? Where should I start? 
Or like, what would you say? Because my answer is you start, I I would start them in the gospel of Luke. Yeah. Well, I would say any of the gospels. Okay. Um, But uh, the, I mean, get to know Jesus. Okay. Get to know Jesus and then work from there. Okay. You know, work your way from there. But yeah, definitely read one of the gospels. I, a lot of times, you know, Mark is, is good because it's short. Yeah. Uh, and a great way to start, and and then and the first one written, yeah. Um, so there are all sorts of reasons, but I would say in, any gospel is a good place to start, and then even moving to uh, the Book of Acts yeah. after that, um, where you see how the church developed and how God was at work in, in people. But but I say do everything you can to get to know Jesus as well as you can. Thank you for listening to the Faith Without Fear podcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Redlands, California. Music was composed and performed by Garrett Zambros. If you're looking for a church home in the Inland Empire, we encourage you to come check us out. All are welcome.